Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Charlene Borzella here of Grief Recovery Now, your host on this podcast and every podcast of Grief Recovery Now. So grateful you're here today. No matter where you are in the world, welcome. Wherever you are, grief-wise, non-grief-wise, checking it out for a friend, welcome. This is a come-as-you-are podcast. I am so grateful again that you're here today during these unprecedented times. At this time, we, uh, it's January 7th right now, and yesterday and the day before, you know, our world is changing unbelievably. There's quick changes happening, and I think it's a perfect time for this grief recovery movement to come in, and I'm so grateful that I'm being called to show up for this. I always talk just some, you know, Charlene's thoughts for today. And I always do a meditation before I get on the podcast and just tell you a little story about what's going on, my insights and other people's insights on what's going on in the world. As you know, I'm a grief recovery specialist. And when I did my grief recovery work, it gave me the opportunity to let parts of myself and my unconscious and belief system die. When I did that work and I cried, parts of it was of me fully grieving and letting go of parts that don't serve me anymore. And my story of the particular person I was grieving or doing the work on, like my mother or my father. And I realized later that while I was grieving them and our relationships and and shifting my story about my parents, my relationship with my parents, my unresolved grief, getting it more resolved, my incomplete grief, getting more complete, I didn't realize later that with that work, parts of me had died. And I think that's where the fullness and the relief comes in and the recovery comes in with all of this. And I also had to let go of some free-floating anxiety of vagueness that was unresolved in me. There was this vagueness surrounding this grief. I couldn't quite, you know, like catch it until I gave myself time to do this grief recovery work. Uh, Just letting you know, starting in 2021, which is now, I am inviting people to do work with me as a grief recovery specialist. This is an educational modality that works. It also has some therapeutic components to it. It's powerful. It's beautiful. I'm there to support you, but you have to do the work. Ask yourself, are you ready? Well, I'm ready if you're ready. So happy everybody's here today. I have a great guest today who I admire, I adore, and I honor, and so happy that he is on the planet. We knew each other way back in Chicago, 
And he was introduced to me by Michael Beckwith of Agape International Spiritual Center. Mark was coming to town in Chicago and he had a vision that he was implementing and anchoring. And he wanted to open up a spiritual center in Chicago. And someone said, would you like to meet Mark Anthony Lord? I go, Mark Anthony Lord, what kind of name is that? Lordy. Is that your given name, Mark? And he said, yes. So to me, I knew right away he was a powerful spirit. Anyway, I could tell you all kinds of things about Mark that I've experienced with, but I want to share him with you. I'm so happy I have this opportunity to share him with you. Now that even though I know him, now you know him. So at the end of this podcast and in my notes, when the this podcast is published, there's all kinds of information on Mark, how to get in touch with him if you feel so-called. Mark Anthony Lord is a visionary, transformational leader, and master teacher. As an expert in the area of spiritual psychology, Mark Anthony assists people of all paths in healing religious trauma and awakening to their true essence. For over 25 years, he has facilitated retreats, workshops, classes, and spoken at conferences around the world on spiritual practices that transform the heart, mind, and spirit. He is the founder of the Bodhi Spiritual Center and Cityside Church, both in Chicago. He is currently the senior minister of Unity Naples. He is also the author of two books, The Seven Living Words and Thou Shall Not Suffer, Seven Steps to a Life of Joy. A passionate lifelong worker and learner, Mark Anthony received his master's in divinity from the Holmes Institute at Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles. He has also studied at Unity, Oneness University in India, and is a friend of Bill, married 25 years to Patrick Ziegler, and a proud canine dad to Bigsby and Lolly. So please help me welcome Mark Anthony Lord. I'm going to clap. I'm so glad (laughs) you're here, Mark. Welcome. Thank you, Charlene. It is just really, it's pure joy to be with you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. Always in my heart. I know that's so true. We are deeply connected. Yes. And <laughs> we were called to meet each other. Yes, for sure. For sure. So I, I take I, on that. Who knows what'll happen? But right now we're in the right here, right now. And as a lot of you know who listen to the podcast, we talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I know Mark wanted to talk about how he grieved a childhood and how he spent it pretending to be someone else. Can you talk to us about it or anything that comes through you today that will help us in this grief recovery path and movement? Yeah. You know, it's such a part of my important journey and love for myself is when I look back at my childhood, I'm a gay man. And when I grew up in the seventies in the blue collar suburb of Detroit in a Catholic community, it was I knew at an early age, like four years old, I knew I was different and I knew it wasn't okay. And I really believed by age six or seven, I really believed I was going to hell and that God hated me. And that's real trauma to the psyche. Like that's like a seven-year-old mind (laughs) having those kind of terror thoughts. So that's one thing when I look back, I'm like, wow, it was really very... I feel like that was religious abuse to do that. But every day of my childhood, and I mean every day, I had to pretend to be somebody else. I had this whole secret life 
inside of me that I'm, I feel this way. And I, you know, it's like, I, I want to go play with the girls over there, but I look like the boys and I don't belong there and I don't belong there, but I got to pretend like this. And so every day of my childhood was lying and pretending and fantasy of being another world. Like, like when I look back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, sweet baby. Like I put my hands on my heart, you know, cause I do have a lot of compassion for myself, but so it looks like it was one kind of childhood and it was fine. I was safe. I came from a family that had some money and things that were, you know, all of those comforts were there, but my internal experience and fears were so traumatic that I just didn't really have an authentic childhood. And like, it's very, it's like everywhere going to play at the pool. I couldn't just go play at the pool. I had to pay attention to who was there and who might call me names and getting in line to go to recess and getting in line before school. And who would I sit by during class? Like every move that I made or shifted a room I walked into, I was in hyper vigilance. Like my radar was always on and, and it's like post-traumatic stress to always walk around, having to look around you to make sure you're safe, simultaneously pretending you're somebody else and feeling so alone. So I don't share that. I mean, I share that like it was really, really hard, but it was my path. And I know there's perfection in it, but it also caused a lot of suffering and addiction in my early adult years. So you had to be hyper alert self-conscious in everything you do. There was no sense of freedom or just this diving into life with complete abandon as a child Yeah, who is free to play. It's like every move you made, you have to be conscious and strategize. Yeah. What was that like having to strategize and how did you do it with your parents? What was different about your parents your strategy and self-consciousness and well, your friends or yeah. how do you really have any friends if you couldn't be fully yourself? Well, it's all made up. And, you know, I don't know a different way to be, you know, so now I do. But back then, if you're just doing what you're doing, you, even when you described that, Shirley was like, wow, I can tell just by you saying that you had times as a childhood where you could go run through the field and you could hang out with your girlfriends or your sisters and feel free. And yeah, I didn't have that, but it was a survival thing. So because it was survival, you know, and I know now that other people had other traumas. Kids grew up in alcoholic homes. Kids grew up in abusive homes. So a lot of us had to do that. Mine was for my particular reason. You mentioned my parents. It's interesting because there's a gift in this. My parents were completely checked out (laughs) and like emotionally not available And that sounds like it, but in a way it was better because they never really, I kept, there's five of us kids. So I could stay under the radar. You know, I hear stories today of of gay or lesbian people um, who were horribly beaten up by their parents or called names or really, you know, my parents never called me a name. I don't think they noticed anything. (laughs) I could, I could have walked through the living room in my sister's dress and I don't think they would have even noticed. (laughs) So in a way I got lucky, I guess. (laughs) But it must have been lonely too at a time. That's that your the parents word. weren't there. They didn't, you couldn't tell them what was going on because you probably didn't know how to verbalize it. Yeah. It, lonely was the word. I mean, that was really, I think I walked in a hole 
Like there's all this pretending to be connected, but then there's this other me that literally thinks there's no one else like me. I can't tell my truth. It was very lonely. And our society is like that. You know, I know even with my mother, even though we, you know, there was some fun and all that, but there was things going on and like they worried about what other people thought. And so you have to be hyper vigilant, even though I went against that many times. Yeah. And, but like getting into trouble, partying, just maybe your complete abandon. Can you talk about how it manifested in your life? Maybe drugs, alcohol, sex, yeah. whatever it is. By the time I was um, 16, I kind of started discovering sex and, but it was all on the down low. And, you know, I mean, it was like, so there was this, I would go to high school and have this one life. And I started, you know, learning like, oh, there's this other, there are other gay people in the world, but it was all sexually based. So even my maturation and my development, you know, there wasn't a dating people like it's such a different world today. Kids come out when they're 13 and they go on dates and they get to act, they get to mature naturally. Go to prom together now. Right. So their sexual development and their age development are the same. For me and other LGBT people, our sexual development gets stunted what, because as we move into puberty, we can't talk about it and we keep it a secret. So we push it down. And then when it does come out, it's very often by with older people who are wounded. That was my experience. Like my first sexual experience was with this older man. It was disgusting and horrible. And I was like 15. And when I did start to come into my own, it was kind of like in a back alley <laughs> sort of energy. And it didn't, so that was what led me down like addiction. And then there were drugs and then sex and drugs and all of this, uh, this world that felt freeing for a little bit, but then it quickly took over my life. And so from college, I don't know how I made it through college. I literally don't know how that happened, but then I, then from there, and then for the first like four years in out of college, it was, it was a lot of, of self-abuse. How much, how did you get into dancing? Was that a form of freedom for you? Was it in well, high school? Was it in college or after well, here's college? another interesting story. I got into dancing in college and I went to Chicago to do, and I'm, my undergrad's in music. So I went to Chicago to do music theater and stuff like that. And I auditioned for a show and I didn't get in to the, to, for the, one of the singing roles, but I went to the dance audition and I got one of the dancers. And then I ended up dancing in a dance company in Chicago but I didn't have a lot of dance training. I could just do it naturally. Like I could watch someone do something and I could just, I don't know. It was like, I had this little genius part of me that could see someone do a dance move and I could figure it out and I could do it. So I got cast in shows. I made lots of money doing it. But again, I felt like a phony. So here I am. It's another story of, I used to lie and tell people I had all this training because I was too embarrassed to say that I'd only had about a year of dance training. Oh, so you were embarrassed who you are while you were growing up. And that extended into my career. And then what career do I become? So I'm embarrassed to be gay and then I become a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly my spirit is making me have to... Had wow. to face it. So, so for me, like it was a lot of, I had to really, I had to practice telling my truth because what happens to me and people like me, which is part of the trauma, when I feel unsafe, 
I want to lie. I want to create a story so I can get something around me really fast. Mm -hmm. So that, and I've got to literally say to myself, I'm okay. I don't need to, like, I need to like put my hand on my heart and like get myself in my body and let myself know that I'm safe to be me. And acceptable. And like acceptable. Were- That's why people like you, Charlene, even like when we met, I was in my late thirties. It was like, I still have this problem. Like she's straight. She has this Chicago normal straight life and she thinks I'm okay. Like that was very healing. To oh, feel I'm happy like- to hear that. Yeah. Like, like when, let me like, like say that when straight people just love people who don't feel like they belong in the LGBT world, it really is healing. It makes a difference. Oh, that's great. And you know what I think too, talking about the gay community and many communities that sort of went underground. You know, I'm in this work because NBC, and I've said this before on the show, NBC wrote an article, the third wave of the pandemic will be grief. Mm. And I don't mean just because of the pandemic and all that, but recognizing the importance of doing healthy grieving and acknowledging your grief. And I think about the gay community, LGBT, and it's still going on in other movements like Black Lives Matter, Me Too movement, that there's this communal grief going on and we're not even naming it. Well, that's the key. And that's why I'm so happy you're doing what you're doing because we don't, I didn't, I was fortunate because so now I I get into recovery in my 20s and I start going to this great therapist in Chicago and she's got us banging pillows and banging futon mattresses. And so what she's really doing is we're moving the energy and I'm having these like big crying releases and I'm not connecting them yet to all of this stuff down, you know, pain around not having a childhood or around all of that sadness or the loneliness, like that, what that, the way it was being processed was through addictive behavior. So once I got that stopped up, you know, I found that I really felt like spirit led me to this wonderful woman and I would pound pillows and we would, you know, I would move energy by crying and making noise and breath work. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I don't even think they called it breath work at the time, (laughs) but that's what really started to help me because I feel like I really am me now. I feel like I'm in me and I like being me and I don't have just little slivers of homophobia or things like that are still inside of me. For the most part, I really feel loved and I really love myself. That's amazing. I feel very grateful that I can say that. You know, it's interesting you talking about this therapist and doing all this experiential work, gut work, and you didn't even know what you were doing, but it was like getting you out of your head. And when you started talking, you, and people can't see you because it's an audio uh, podcast, you held your heart. Uh, And we in Grief Recovery talk about get out of your head and into your heart. And it's not intellectual. And she got you out of this intellectual that you belief system that you grew up with or somehow decided that was going to be a tool for you to live life survival technique. But I love the way you did that at least three times holding your heart. Uh, So I can see you match what, what your words are saying when you said, I am myself now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're very, you know, that's the gift, Charlene, is that when because I wasn't myself and because I didn't love myself and I hated myself to now be on the other side where I don't feel that way. It, it makes it more special. 
I, I've been in 12-step program for many years. I always, when I work with addicts, I say, we are so blessed because we're forced to look at ourselves <laughs> in ways that other people don't have to. And we have to, to stay alive. And you can't play victim. No. You have to look at the facts, do yep. the work. I am responsible for my life. Yes, this is what happened. No, yeah. all the horrific things, the trauma, the abuse, things that you had no control over, society's belief systems or what they want to put on you. Yeah. You know, that is all well. And that's, I understand the pain that you have to go through and the squelching of the, who you are. But if you want recovery, you have to be where you are. And I am responsible for my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and interesting. that's where the work begins. Can you talk a little bit about that or whatever you were just going to say? Yeah, I will. But it's interesting because then I, as you know, I became a minister and I became really passionate about spirituality and studying it. And, and, and I really like that is my life's work and I'm so grateful, but it's like, it's like the ego or something in us doesn't want to grieve. And so it uses things to bypass. And I, found a spiritual teaching that really the science of mind and the mental attitude. It was like, I used it to bypass feeling, <laughs> you know, and there's language within the new thought spirituality that can really um, encourage not having feelings, mm -hmm. you know? So that's a little, there's a shadow to the spiritual teachings and that shadow is don't feel. You're not your body or that didn't, you know, you're not like, there's a way that I, how, how can I explain this? I use the teaching to not feel and to not grieve. That's what happened. Yes. You know? And that spiritual bypass or whether you call it spiritual or whatever, you don't have to be spiritual to listen to this show. It's just more of your higher self, something that's more than you, something yeah. that is of, of love. To me, love is just not a word. It's like love for self, love for yeah. others, love for your point, experience. My point is grieving is like, I think we all want to not do it. That's my point. Like it's it, like, I think our culture, you know, it's like you, someone dies in your family, three days off, go back to work. It's like, people don't know how to be with each other in the sadness or in the grieving process. And even I think, I, even when I feel it's like, I just want to get it over with and move on. And that's why I'm so happy you're doing the work you're doing, because I think it needs more attention. Like I didn't have people naming what I had to go through as grief. I didn't even know that until later. Right. You know? And you know, thinking about your story. Yeah. You don't know until later. It's just like that pendulum. You go to the left, total shame, shame, shame. You, yeah. And then you go all the way to the right, total, woo, you know, all is well, you're perfect, but you don't feel perfect. Right. And so you got to go in. What is the snapshot of who you really are? And yeah. that's where the work comes in. And yeah. so I loved that you went into this particular um, science of mind, not Scientology, but science of mind, which is uh, uh, beyond the physical teaching, honoring all paths. It transcends religions. So yeah. you honor all path, celebrate life. Yeah. And what was the other part? Uh, well, yeah. How did we say it? Um, reveal love, honor all paths, celebrate life. Right. And yeah. doing the grief work or the, the path you went on to transform and transcend the pain and the experience you had from childhood, not forgetting it, 
but having a psychic change about it to help you live more fully. And I, yeah. that, I think that's part of the human condition. How awake do we want to be in this world? And what we taught is like, we can have heaven on earth, no matter where you came from. And what your story is, is like what you teach. They go, all the pain you went through, that is what you're going to teach in the world. And yeah. you're doing that. Well, and um, yeah, you made me think of something. I don't want to forget it. Um, oh, shoot. And it's leaving my mind. <laughs> You know, it'll come back because, uh, oh, I know, I know I was going to talk about. I also think as an adult now, because of my childhood experiences and because I feel like, I don't know, maybe grief, there's always layers to it. One of the things that I'm at my best when I take time to really love myself and slow down and acknowledge that I do have these, I don't know if you call them wounds or because of my childhood experience, I deserve extra care. I deserve like extra, I got to stop and go, how am I feeling? Am I okay? I was just in a room with, you know, a bunch of straight guys at a football game or blah, 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 blah. Like when I leave that room, I got to go, how can I take care of myself now? What does the little boy in me need? I think that's ways to do continual grief work is my point to like, keep knowing that, you know, um, I need special care around things. And will I love myself enough to give it? Yeah, just welcome whatever comes, even if it's uncomfortable. I know myself as confident as I am as a person and optimistic. There's still a self-consciousness in me from childhood about I shouldn't be myself. I tell my parents, I have a feeling. I'm feeling this. No, don't feel that. They're like, okay. (laughs) And and it sort of short circuits my little mind. Either you watch something on TV, even though your parents weren't that influential in putting you down for being gay, something shifted you. Yes. Some kind of message that you took in mm-hmm. of the race consciousness. And I don't mean black, white, yellow, or whatever. I'm talking about race consciousness. Like you can't be gay. Gay's bad. It's right. a sin. I'm going to hell. And that's what you take, right? Yeah. It's those, those collective beliefs, you know, when a bunch of, you know, when society believes things, it's hard to just be a little boy and rise above it and disagree. You just absorb them. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you something. When did you know the jig was up when you finally came out, whether through being more open about gay, was it a gradual thing about even drugs and alcohol? What, how did it accumulate all of a sudden? I'm going to be on this new path. What was the first thing? Was it the 12 step program? Was it prayer, praying to God, God, please help me. And it led you to another way or just something within you, a spark within you. Well, it was like a, um, a real fast, like a, like a slideshow of a, of a short amount of time where a lot of those things, I got into 12 step recovery with this miracle moment of it was a Friday night and I couldn't not take one more self-destructive night. And I called a friend from years ago, her name was Tracy. And for the first time I told someone, I didn't even know she had been in recovery for a year. I didn't know anything. She was the perfect, like God, spirit, whatever you think, something brought her to me in that moment even told me how to get to a meeting. So it was like one of those little magical moments. And then pretty quickly, I went to a treatment center, a private treatment center up in Canada for 30 days. And it was very spiritual. They were so spiritually based. And that's where, and really, again, because I want to break that down. It's it really, they just taught me to really love myself and to know that there's someone worthy inside. (laughs) And I could be that person. So that came into 
my life after that. And that's really what changed my path. It really changed my path. Yeah. And anyone who thinks they're having to do it alone, there's a myth and grief that, oh, they need to be alone. Sure. We have our moments where we need the solitude, but we really need each other to help remind us. I believe in the peer to peer model. And that's why I think while I'm not a support group or anything, but there's a part of grief that you need support. You need to be with your peers. Yeah. And then there's the next part where you need to do your own individual work. So the peers help you like, oh, I can be there where you are. You know, it helps you change your paradigm in which, please, who is ever out there is thinking that they have to do it alone and fix themselves enough to be presentable, to get help. Come as you are. Be a freaking mess. There's people (laughs) out there that will be there for you. I will. And if I can't help you, I will send you off to someone who can or, you know, refer people who can and or, you know, send you a book. But books aren't going to do it. You know, sometimes it's the experiential work is where the transformation and the revelations come in. Well, I appreciate you saying, you know, because. Like if someone has a traumatic experience, um, you know, I I was telling you earlier, we have a niece who uh, had a stillborn baby and it was, you know, she's got some grief to move through. She was, the baby died like the morning she was giving birth. So she was fully ready to have this baby. And so one day, you know yourself as this. And then the next day, everything is different. And all the people who love you, they still love you, but they don't know your path. And so you feel, so that's why going to find a group or going to be with other people, although you may live like, oh, I don't want to go in that room. They're strangers. I don't know them. Trust me, you will feel a connection that is undeniable. And it can be life-saving, don't you think? Oh, for sure. And you may not even like them when you first see them. (laughs) Because no, I know I any group I ever went to, <laughs> I see 20 people. I'm like, oh my God, these guys, I don't think, what do I have in common with any of them? All of a sudden, by the end of the weekend or something, I'm like, I love these people. <laughs> so no, you'll resist it. So yeah. I, I get what you mean. You know, yes, because you're so happy. The results are great. But at the beginning, just know you'll not saying it's going to happen to you, but I know me, I look like, oh God, what am I? Not that I was judgmental, but I sort of resisted it. So I had to do a contrary action and just show up. Yeah, it's it's scary. You know, when I started going to 12-step meetings, I remember I was 25 and I walk in, it's like, oh, these people are all old. I was like, let me just get this fixed and get out of here. Like I didn't want, I like, I didn't want to be friends with these people or, but I needed them because the people I was hanging out with were not going to help me. I needed this room of strangers who were walking the path of recovery. Yes. So the, so the turning point was the phone call, taking that 100-pound phone, back in the day we say now 100-pound right. cell phone, right? and just making the call. Sometimes all you have to say is hello. Anything, because where our time is almost up, not that I want to end it, but I know that you, know, you have another appointment coming up. Yeah. Tell me anything you'd like to share with anyone on your, whether somebody's LGBT, has drug addiction issues, or just just having trouble living a life on life's terms, what would you suggest they do like on writing or meditating or if they need to seek out? I know you have a book, so you could talk about your book a little bit too. Yeah. Well, it's not a, it's not a treatment book or anything like that, but um, my most recent book, Thou Shall Not Suffer, my, um, 
publisher wouldn't let me call. I wanted to call it the subline, um, the new commandment. And I wish I would have, but he was like, oh, we can't use that. I wish I would have fought for that. But it's like the new commandment, thou shall not suffer. And it's got some steps in there that can help you learn to love yourself and learn to look at some of the beliefs that are blocking you from, from doing that. It's like there's seven different steps in there. And one of them does begin with the first step is helping you look at what are the wrong ideas you were taught about God or higher power or life or whatever word you use, the universe? Because um, many of us were taught that it's dangerous and that it, it's out to get us. So there's some real healing things inside. One of the chapters is about loving yourself madly and really pouring on all of the words and the attention that you didn't get as a child. So you didn't get them, neither did I. I can be a victim to that, or I can give them to myself. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in there like that. So it sort of helps. It's a little workbook in there. or It is. It's, it's got some exercises at the end of each chapter. Oh, that's perfect. So it'll prompt you because sometimes you're like, okay, now what? I'm quiet. I'm meditating. I don't yeah. know what to do next. So it helps prompt you to do the next step exactly. in writing. So do you believe in pen and paper? I do. I do. I think journaling, writing, um, you know, dialoguing, uh, you know, there's lots of, there's so many powerful ways. My partner, Patrick, he's the teacher. He teaches the artist, uh, way. The artist way. And that main component is the morning pages. And every morning he journals. It's amazing. He gets up, he pulls his journal and he writes. And it's really powerful. It's not my first go-to, but I definitely uh, think it's very powerful. Yeah, and, and it would be great. People just try what fits, what fits. Yeah. And so, oh, I'm so happy you came on the show today. Thank you. Or the podcast today. Tell me what's up. Anything going on with you that you'd like to share with us? I think you are doing some kind of podcast or live with someone. Yeah, I've got a program that I just started. It started a week ago. It's a year-long program. It's based on a book called The Course in Miracles. So it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual study program that's a year-long program. So I just kicked that off. And I've got like new classes and webinars and things that I do. So my invitation is to come to my website. It's markanthonylord.me. And if you, you know, go there, you'll see what my upcoming webinars and classes and things that I'm up to. I'm going to be teaching a prayer class. I'm starting a couple weeks and I love doing that because when I was a kid, I didn't know how to pray. And there's, I teach a affirmative scientific modality. You know what it is. You studied it for a while, Charlene. And it's really cool. It's a, it's a cool thing to learn. Yeah. And this is not, when we talk about things like that, this is not religion. If you're religious, great, great, great. Yep. Yep. But this is just a, some spiritual principles from ancient wisdom, they yep. talk about the truth is the truth is the truth. So practice some of these things. If you have a thing about God, I know sometimes there could be, I remember this one time, this woman was very religious and she had a traumatic death of a husband and she didn't want to hear God for the life of her. That's why in my groups, I don't bring any religion. I don't bring up God. I don't bring up meditation. I don't do any of that. Not that you want to deny it, but you never know how people are touched. And there's very deep nooks and crannies you go through that will give you freedom, that there's no judgment where you are. And that's just a snapshot where you are today. It doesn't mean we're going to be there later, but just stay in the moment where you are now. Nice. So that's how we're going to end today. Be where you are now. It's okay. 
It's more than okay. No judgment here. How about with you, Mark? Nope. This is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm so happy you're there. I just got chills. And Mark, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. Any last thoughts? I'm just grateful. Thank you for doing this, Charlene. I think it's important work. And I know you've been called from your heart to do it. So thank you. I think, uh, I think many people will be helped because you answered that little call inside of you to do it. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll see you again here. And I'd love to. And I wish you the best. And everybody who's listening, thank you again for listening. Please share. This is the Grief Recovery Now movement. We need to help a lot of people, especially now. We saw what happened in Washington just the other day. By the time you hear this podcast, it'll be probably three weeks to a month. I don't know what's going to go on in the world. We've got the pandemic going. I don't want to forget about that. We've got people who need to be heard, underlying grief, communal grief, individual grief. And uh, this is not to be morbid or sad or whatever, even though if it's called for that, it's that's what we have to be. But also there's hope. And I believe there's pure potentiality going on in the world today. And come join me in that belief system in spite of maybe feeling something else right now. I believe in you. I know Mark does. So <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. We're on all the podcast platforms. And see you next time. Love you. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Charlene. Bye-bye. Okay, bye, everybody. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.